Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams. And I'm Joe Anderson. Joe, today's a great discussion. Today yeah. is today is TPM and CILs. It's all the stuff right in your wheelhouse. I know. So you're going to be a happy puppy, man. Your tail is wagging. It is. And our guest today is none other than Matt Schumann. Matt spent several years at Caterpillar, uh, where he, he mostly focused on things like life cycle and repair standards. He was on the mining division there. Um, but after that, he went to Nestle Purina uh, out in Wisconsin. And he spent the a vast majority of his time there focused on the implementation of TPM, continuous improvement things, uh, while he was the continuous improvement manager and then eventually the production manager there. So uh, we are extremely excited to have you as our guest, Mr. Matt Schumann. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Let's get this started, man, because uh, this is an area I love to focus on. Uh, part of the reason for that is me being a maintenance manager most of my career, I came to the realization that I could have the greatest maintenance department in the world in the manufacturing space, but unless my operations group was operating at a best practice level, it really hindered us getting to see bottom line results uh, within the company. So um, I started focusing more on, as a maintenance manager, um, working with operations and kind of training them on operator care aspects through, you know, what we would call traditionally as autonomous maintenance um, and working with them uh, to develop operator inspections, their CILs and those types of things. Um, so I, I enjoy this stuff. A lot of my success would be contributed to this. So when we talk about CIL, I guess to get some basics down so people understand what what is a CIL? Well, in my mind, a CIL is a standard for how we should be um, cleaning our equipment. So we're establishing a, a baseline of, you know, what basic condition or good is. Right. And we're trying to challenge ourselves to keep the equipment in that condition. Right. Um, in addition to just cleaning the equipment though, you know, this is our chance to have uh, dedicated time to do some critical inspections of our equipment, identify defects and get those defects corrected before they're causing, uh, you know, additional major issues. Right. Um, in, for me, a lot of the early stages is really focused just on the cleaning and really linking the importance of cleanliness, but also the importance of, uh, good technical inspection and training from the mechanics to the operators on how to perform those tasks. So that that's a good thing because it, it brings up a question, right? And this is where I think a lot of operators struggle um, is what is the importance of cleaning, right? To them, they see it as, you know, more work or something maintenance should do, not quite understanding how important it is to keep equipment clean. Why, why do you think it is that uh, it's so important to keep things clean? Well, I, I think, you know, if you look or you talk to, you know, look at component failures, um, cleanliness or contamination is a major contributor to uh, failures. So there's that aspect. I think Another aspect is, you know, setting the expectation of um, 
what good looks like and really driving to keep that equipment in that condition. I think that's also the importance of cleanliness. I mean, um, you know, if your equipment is clean, uh, it looks good, you're going to want to take better care of it, right? And I think that's the other undervalued piece of this is once I, you know, in my experience, once an operator saw the restoration of their equipment after deep clean to this like new state, in most cases, they wanted to keep it that way, right? They didn't want to go back to how it looked before. So I think that's the other valuable piece of this is that you're really setting the new standard for what, what we're going to keep it as going forward. Yeah, that's that's where you start to see the buy-in and the culture start to shift is, you know, they start to take pride in things and they get upset um, because they put blood, sweat, and tears in now on this on this Absolutely. line. And, and to see somebody else come over or another shift and not carrying their weight or whatever, Absolutely. they start to hold each other accountable, um, which is of vital importance for its sustainability as a piece of its sustainability, right? And Absolutely. So, yeah. It's, I mean, it's great. I mean, the other piece of it too is, you know, if you're actually committed to taking down the equipment and cleaning it and you're following some good cleaning standards and you've got the right coaching and training in place to make those things happen, your equipment does run better, right? And you slowly shift from having to uh, constantly fight fires, clear jams, those sorts of things, your entire shift to knowing if I take this 10 minute outage and do the right activities, I'm pretty confident my equipment's going to run the way it should for the rest of my shift. And that's the other piece that, you know, it's tough to see in the beginning, but once you get over that hump, um, I, again, I don't think operators I've worked with would ever want to go back to the old way. Yeah. My deal is my goal is to have an operator sit and reading a book. Yeah. Right. And that's when you know that things have changed. It's gone from firefighting jams, frustration, and not really caring because if as an operator, they feel as if people aren't listening, right? Mm -hmm. Because you bring up these issues, you write work orders and nothing ever gets fixed and you deal with the same issues over and over again. And a lot of people just get to the point. It's just like, whatever, I'm just going to have to deal with this. Right. To see them go from that attitude to a stress-free attitude where they're sitting in a chair, reading a book. (laughs) That was always my goal to get them reading. You walking out there and seeing that, you know, they're just relaxing and chilling. And I know as a maintenance manager that we're pumping units out, which is awesome for the business. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it's great to, to give them those stress-free conditions as well. It gives them quality of life. Absolutely. Yeah. For, for me, it was always, if I saw, you know, an operator sitting in a chair, I knew it was a good shift. Right. Right. And, and that for me wasn't a bad thing, but it, it showed me that it was in control. He knew what was, he or she knew what was going on and had the right activities in place to make sure that the rest of the shift went, went the way it should. So when, great, when you set point. up your time for them to do their cleaning, what time of the day or what time of the shift would you normally do that? Yeah, so this there's differing opinions, and yeah, yeah. So this was a big learning for us as a a factory. Um, Initially, when we started this, we were trying to uh, couple our cleaning with uh, outages on the line, right, to try to minimize downtime. 
Mm-hmm. But we but we quickly saw that, you know, if you're not building uh, the structure and, and operators, they're not really understanding the importance of cleaning, they're not going to utilize downtime to do CILs, right? right. They're not going to drive to make that happen. So as a leadership team, we had to make set downtime outages on the line um, to make that happen. And the way we structured it was uh, we had set times four hours into each shift where an outage happened. And that was initially when we set up the pilot line. And then as we progressed and got more areas of the factory um, on TPM and utilizing CIL standards, we started to sequence that downtime throughout the plant to kind of optimize as we're rolling down the line for those cleaning cleaning inspection activities, if that makes sense. But typically it was four hours into the shift. That was the generic way that we had done it. And we saw a lot of success with doing that. So we continued to, to use that, that method. Yeah, I guess my opinion on this, and it varies depending on the industry um, and how they're kind of set up to run, right? I mean, there's, there's always some one-offs that affect it. Um, first off, it doesn't matter when you do it, you have to do it. Right. 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 So, I mean, it's that. But in my opinion, um, I like to do it at the end of the shift. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, is I want the shift that's cleaning have the goal in mind to set up the next shift for success. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you walk in in the morning, you know, you're getting a clean machine and everything's ready to go. And it allows me to be a little less frustrated and to have a good day. And I know what to expect when I walk in the door. Right now, again, it's, you know, there's variables that fit into that. And sometimes you just can't do that based on the operation. But, you know, if at all possible, in my opinion, I think at the end of the shift would be the best time to do it. But, you know, again, that's always debatable. So, yeah, yeah, I think I see your point and there's probably some real advantages for doing that. I think, uh, you know, for us, though, the biggest, probably the biggest learning for me um, was just you have to make dedicated time, Mm -hmm. set time. It's also critical because when you're talking about rolling out CILs, having a great coaching strategy with the operators to follow through on these things, having a dedicated time makes your coaching routine that much easier because you can have people on the line ready um, to coach when that outage happens. And then as you complete those activities, it becomes a lot easier to utilize, you know, an outage on the line to complete your CILs um, because you've instilled the importance of completing them every single shift. Um, But early on, I think just having that set downtime was a major learning for, for me and our factories. Right. So let me ask, when it comes to shifting from cleaning to the inspection piece, what are some of the key points that you kind of think are things that should be there that allow success in the inspection? Well, I think early on, uh, the way we structured our CILs is they were probably mostly focused on cleaning. Mm -hmm. Um, How we slowly updated those to be more effective in terms of inspection was really starting to use our minor stop and breakdown data and some root cause problem solving onto those top issues that were driving minor stops and and failures on the line to continually update uh, those standards, right? Mm -hmm. So 
it was really based on losses uh, on the line in how we dove into those CIL standards and really updated um, the inspection piece to really you know catch those issues and can continue to eliminate those stops. Um, so right. for me, you know, early on, it it's okay to be mostly focused on cleaning, building the behavior. But a critical piece is don't try to do everything at once. Use your stoppage data, use your major losses on the line to drive uh, how you kind of attack those losses and update those standards to make them more effective. So yeah, I think that's one of the most important points, right? The goal here is not just defect identification, but the elimination of the defect. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Yeah, you know, and I think the other piece to that is don't underestimate the the importance or the link with the MWG, the maintenance group with your, you know, your CILs. So on our problem solving, we would always include, you know, the technical competency from the MWG. And, and in, in addition to that, in coaching, having somebody available, a mechanic available during that outage to coach on inspection, to raise that operator's technical competency is super critical. And, and then another thing that we saw huge success in when we had that link between the AWG and MWG. I, I agree. And I think it goes both ways. What, what I've done in the past to, it's not just to help the operator, but the operator can help the maintenance folks as well. And that we did what we call buddy PMs, right? Mm -hmm. We would have maintenance folks. We had a AM support pillars, what we are AM support daily management system. So we had a group of maintenance folks that were dedicated to the support of the AM function. Mm. And then what they would do is they would help coach during the CILs, but we would also have operators come in and work with maintenance folks when they were doing PMs. Mm. And what you started to see is the maintenance guys really got to understand how the system, the process and how the equipment works, where the operators learned how to manage some of the issues that they were seeing or how to troubleshoot and how to solve problems. And so it was beneficial on both sides uh, of the fence and, and they kind of complement each other. And Absolutely. So, yeah. I just think that's, it's great. Right. Yeah. You know, the other thing thinking about, you know, MWG buy-in and support for CILs, you know, once you get a line clean and in basic condition, there's no question, at least the mechanics that I'd worked with, what they'd rather work on. Right. <laughs> um, you know, a, you know, a clean equipment when it's not soaked with cardboard dust or grease or those basic things that everywhere else in the factory are happening, they'd much rather work on equipment that's in basic condition. And from their perspective, the more CILs that we roll out and bed in the factory, it's also a value to them, right? Because, yep. you know, it, it makes their job easier. So I heard that a lot from the, the maintenance crews as we were rolling these things out. Well, the goal of AM is to hand maintenance assets that are restored because you Absolutely. can't maintain an asset that's already in a failed condition, right? Maintain means to guard or protect or to keep from failure. And so if it's already in a, in a failed state, you're not maintaining it, right? And so AM and PM working together um, develops 
assets that are restored to base condition so that maintenance can implement a strategy that can maintain the equipment at that point. Right. And so the the two are, you know, they work hand in hand, you know, you step two, step three of AM and your step two, three, and four in in the PM side, you're kind of working together to develop not just a maintenance strategy and an operator care strategy, but to restore equipment and eliminate defects. And yeah, so absolutely. Absolutely. Those are, I think probably from a business perspective, the greatest keys to implementing these things, absolutely. right? It's you're getting production throughputs, you're getting quality of life for your employees, you know, life gets good. And so, yeah, I think that's awesome. So, uh, let me ask, well, where you were at, did management get involved in the cleaning activities when you were going to develop the cleaning standards, stuff like that? Yeah. Um, it was a huge piece of how we implemented TPM in the factory. So typically what happened is before we started a line on TPM, there'd be a deep clean or a blitz of the line. Right. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that deep clean, um, everybody from the factory would be involved. Um, on all three shifts and cleaning the equipment. So everybody from the factory manager to the warehouse manager to the finance manager, um, we would all be involved. We'd be on the line cleaning, um, inspecting, writing tags to correct issues. Everybody was in, right? Right. The other key piece was, like I said, once we figured out you know, how critical it is to have set downtime for these CIL activities, we established a pretty robust coaching routine that involved both um, managers at the, the top level, I guess the executive level of the, the factory, as you will, and the supervision from both operations and maintenance, going out to the line together to coach the CIL standards, focus on the losses we were seeing on the line, and talk about corrective actions we can take every day to make it better. Right. I think that's and, the important piece, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I can't, I mean, having the support of leadership and that constant contact between your leadership, understanding the daily struggles and the things that are happening on the shop floor is so critical. Um, We called it leadership at the shop floor. Um, And it was a challenge for us to, you know, half our day or or more than half our day, be on the floor coaching, um, understanding issues and helping correct them. That was our goal as a factory. I think um, in today's world, the largest problem we have today is that we lose the reason why we're actually there because of, you know, red tape and meetings and firefighting and all this other stuff, right? Right. And the reason the company was founded in a manufacturing process Mm -hmm. is somebody in their garage or out on their farm or whatever it is decided that this was a product that they wanted to mass produce and get to the public. Right. And in the meantime, a goal was to grow up big enough to hire people so that you could take care of more families through wages and stuff like that. Right. So they had this understanding of what it is that they wanted. And we seem to lose that today 
with a lot of management. A lot of management try to manage from the office and never get out to the shop floor, losing sight of the fact that you are manufacturing a product for a reason, you know, and that is the most important piece of the business is the manufacturing of that product. If you didn't do that, you wouldn't be there. It's so, it's so important. I mean, I think, you know, thinking back in some major milestones in my career, when I first started with, uh, with Nestle and I started in the factory, I was pretty new to TPM implementation. I had some basic training, but this was my first real hands-on experience. Mm -hmm. And I remember trying some initial things focused at the management level. Um, And I remember after that meeting, uh, the engineering manager actually came up to me and basically challenged me and said, uh, I don't think you understand why we're all here, which is at the end of the day to put safe quality product out the door, right? And if, if these activities aren't contributing to that, we're not doing the right things, right? Right. And it was kind of a wake up call for me to be like, you know what? Absolutely. If we're not putting cans out the door in a safe quality way, none of this other activities are possible. So how do we start getting to where that really is, is contributing to do that better? I think it's so critical, Joe. Yeah. And I think, like I said, I I think it's lost in a lot of manufacturing environments today i think we're so caught like you look at a manager's calendar today and it's 10 hours of meeting yeah and you're just sitting on a phone or on a computer you know talking about stuff that isn't truly adding value back to the company because true value add cuts the bottom line yeah you know what i mean like there's benefits to doing that and and I don't know. It's something that I wrestle with on how, how frank do I get with people (laughs) about, you know, without, um, coming across the wrong way, you Mm. know, because I'm not there to upset people, but at the same time, we're here to run a business. I was lucky to work for an organization that, you know, set the expectation from the top from corporate that leaders at the factory level should be on the shop floor 60% of the time or more, right? So having that strong expectation from the top, it really made you think, how do I do more of getting out there and less of these administrative things, right? Right. Um, So that was critical. Which is, I think the key there you said is it starts at the top. Absolutely, absolutely. When it's the top that's driving all the meetings, that's where an organization gets into problems. Right. I mean, the other thing, you know, when I made the switch from continuous improvement manager to production manager, I quickly saw my calendar get filled up with those administrative things. Um, And I really struggled with that. And the way I had to manage it for myself was, you know, like everything else we're trying to do with TPM is I had to set a routine. I had to set block times on my calendar where I wasn't going to be scheduled in a meeting. I was going to be on the shop floor. Right. And because we were operating all three shifts, I had to make sure those times were spread on first, second, and third shift. Um, yeah. And that's just my personality. I needed that set time. I needed that routine to force myself to do it. Um, and that's how I managed it. And it was also the way I could start pushing back and, and 
work with my manager to say, you know, I'm getting asked to do this. It's taking away from my time to do this. What's more critical? And more often than not, I had the leadership backing to say this, the, the time on the floor, the time with your employees, the time addressing issues is the most important things. Not always, but most, most of the time. Right. Well, that's just a unicorn. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I mean, it's a, it was a absolutely great organization from that perspective, because I think they saw success in other factories and they were committing to making it happen across the board. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's one of the single biggest downfalls Joe and I see out in the industry is people are too busy sitting in their chair and not on the shop floor where the magic happens. It's, well, I, it's I think crazy. what shocks me the most is when managers do come out to the floor, they don't know anybody's name. Hmm. They don't shake hands. They don't say hi. They don't even know people. <laughs> Joe, do you remember when we did the tour? Uh, yeah, I know, man. <laughs> we did a tour at our at a previous company, and we were walking around a line that Joe and I had improved by 60%, and their performance was down. So a leader at the site said, I want you to walk the line with me. So we walk around the line and there's just, oh, you know, the individual didn't shake hands with anybody. I'm saying hi to everybody, asking how their family's doing, all kinds of stuff is going on. And, we, you know, to make a long story short, we saw all kinds of issues um, that I wouldn't walk past in under any circumstance. Yep. And so after we finished the tour, he, he says, you know, so what's your impression? What's the problem here? And I, I said, well, quite, quite frankly, you are <laughs> like you walk <laughs> by everybody. You didn't shake anybody's hand. You didn't say nothing. You walk by trash and don't pick it up. Your leadership is the problem. It's it's not the machines, the same. The people are the same. So you tell me what the problem is. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's nuts, right? Yeah. You know. Honestly, though, I, I think part of why I found it so important was like a lot of the people that I learned from, even if they, you know, um, pretty what I would say old school factory managers um, before we're getting into TPM, you know, you could tell they understood a lot of what TPM was trying to do, but maybe not ultimately committed. But one thing they were committed to was being on the floor, right? Um, and that that alone instilled, even if you don't understand the TPM fundamentals, you still understand the importance of, you know, working with your employees every single day, understanding issues that they're having and working together to try to solve those. Um, and, and again, I guess just looking back on my career, I've, I was lucky to work with people that always valued that aspect of it. So, Well, it shows that you value people and people will feel valued. And so... When you do that, that alone, without solving any other problems, it's amazing what it would do to your throughputs. Right. Just raising morale right. because you're out there supporting people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's crazy, and it, and it works. It's right. it's funny. All right, Matt. So um, awesome discussion. I want to leave you with one question. If you could give me some of your key you know, important points about the implementation of CILs to leave people with, what would those be? Yeah, I, I think I probably already mentioned two of the key points, which I, I mean, first for me is you've, you've got to show a dedication to doing it as a factory. So if you're not willing to take the line down to make time to do these planned activities, it's going to be hard for you um, to see the results. It's also going to be hard for you to get your team um, committed 
that they're actually that worth doing, right? So I think that's yep. number one. Okay. Um, the second thing with that is though, having that consistent scheduled downtime, back it up with a really great coaching routine that you stick to. And that coaching routine's gotta include leadership, but it's also gotta include the technical competency, right? Make sure your MWG's involved, make sure you're working together on the line to identify issues um, and really work together, make it a, a kind of all out effort get everybody out there coaching and actually take action to make things better every single time you're on the floor. Yeah. So I, I think that's number two. And then, I mean, I probably already mentioned number three too, which is like, don't try to uh, go to a super detailed level on every single one of your CIL standards, right? It's okay to have high level CIL, CIL standards at the start, use your losses to really dictate what standards are worth diving into, right? right? And in many cases, we'd have a generic CIL for cleaning the entire equipment, but maybe on the infeed section, we had really focused cleaning standards with valuable go/no-go no inspections in that area. So use your losses and help use your loss data to drive where you focus. So I think for me, those would be the top three when we're talking CIL standards from my perspective. Awesome, Matt. Well, we, we appreciate your time. Thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge with us. Um, yeah. It's always fun. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something I'm really passionate about. And I also saw firsthand um, the impact. And it wasn't just me, right? It was a team effort, a total team commitment to making this happen. So um, I love talking about it. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to share. Yeah, no worries. George, you got anything else? No, this has been just an amazing conversation and quite frankly, one that sounds like it's going to do some repeating with uh, with respect to other topics in TPM. So, Matt, um, for Joe and I, thank you so much for being on Practical Reliability. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. Awesome. Take care.